Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This will be episode 500. Can you guys believe we've done yeah, 500? This is amazing. Like, so, <laughs> yeah, real quick, I'm just going to introduce the panel and then we'll get rolling. We have Dan Shapir. You already heard it. Yeah. Hey, hey, from Tel Aviv, where it's uh, sunny and warm. In fact, so warm that we are joining the club of countries with raging wildfires. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Welcome to the club, yeah. I think. Or maybe uh, not. Yeah. Hopefully, by the time this episode airs, it'll be behind us. But it's not It's not really nice now. Yep. We also have Amy Knight. Hey, hey, from Nashville. AJ O'Neill. Yo, yo, yo. Coming at you live from the Purple Room. The Purple Room. That sounds so fancy. Oh, it is. It is. Very fancy. We have Steve Edwards. Well, from Portland. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. My room's kind of purple. I have the light off in here. But there's a wildfire up one of the canyons here in Utah, so the smoke is real bad here in Utah right now. Oh, so this is new. It's not from the California fires? It's it is own. not from the California fires. It's up Parley's Canyon. Oh, I, so. I thought it was just that. Yeah, we're still trapped here. No, we're not importing it anymore. This episode is sponsored by Sentry. Sentry is the thing that I put into all of my apps. First, I figure out how to deploy them. I get them up on the web. Then I run Sentry on them. And the reason why is because I need to know what's going on in my app all the time. Yeah, I'm kind of a control freak. What can I say? The other reason is, is that sometimes I miss stuff or I run things in development. You know, it works on my machine. We've all been there, right? And then it gets up in the cloud or up on a server and stuff happens and stuff breaks, right? I didn't configure it right. I'm an idiot and I didn't put the AWS credential in. I didn't do that last week, right? That wasn't me. Anyway, I need that error reported back. Hey, Chuck, I can't connect to AWS. The other thing is, is that this is something that my users often won't give me information on. And that's, hey, it's too slow. It's not performing right. And I need to know it's slowing down because I don't want them going off to Twitter when they're supposed to be using my app. And so they need to tell me, it's not fast enough. And Sentry does that, right? I put Sentry in. It gives me all the performance data. And I can go, hey, that takes three seconds to load. That's way too long. And I can go in and I can fix those issues. And then I'm not losing users to Twitter. So if you have an app that's running slow, if you have an app that's having errors, or if you just have an app that you're getting started with and you want to make sure that it's running properly all the time, then go check it out. They support all major languages and frameworks. They recently added support for Next.js, which is cool. You can go sign up at sentry.io slash sign up. That's easy to remember, right? If you use the promo code JSJabber, you can get three free months on their base team plan. Anyway, so episode 500, we usually on these, we kind of celebrate the podcast and talk a little bit about kind of where it came from or what we've liked about it or things like that. And uh, one of the things that I like to do as we kind of get going is just bring up some of our favorite episodes. And so I'm I'm kind of curious as we've uh, as we've recorded some of the episodes over the last 500 episodes. What what are some of your favorite episodes? I don't know if anyone wants to just jump in and chime in. Otherwise, I can kind of call on everyone in turn. Ironically, I'm going to pick the one in which I got schooled about different aspects of the Chrome internals and HTML history and stuff because I learned a lot and I enjoy that. Which one was that? I'm trying to remember the name of it. Let me go look it up real quick. Yeah, find a link, drop it in the chat. We'll put it in the Show notes. You mean the one with uh, Jake Archibald from Google? Indeed. Yeah, that was a contentious one. We got some ricochets off of that one. Well, I didn't think so. I mean, during the episode, I didn't think so, at least. I thought everything was going swimmingly. But, <laughs> you know, Americans, that's how we are. <laughs> well, was that the one where we got the feedback that, hey, why, is you, why are you arguing with your guests? 
Yeah, that was one. I don't think you were actually on that one, Chuck. I, I don't think. think I was either. Yeah, that that was that was that one. It it was interesting in that regard. But but I agree that uh, definitely a lot of information about the inner workings of uh, Chrome were were given, and and then especially when AJ realized that the person that we're talking to is actually part of the Chrome team. <laughs> That that was an amusing moment. Well, my opinions didn't change. It's just that maybe I would have worded them a little differently. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, the internet speaks for itself on some regards. Like, IndexedDB is too complicated. The internet has voted. People don't get it. Everyone builds abstractions around it because it doesn't make sense the way it is. That's That's just... That is truth. That is a thing. It exists in the world. That one I won't I won't disagree with. I think that like IndexedDB is indeed one of those APIs that that's apparently too complex for its own good. And and given that you can hardly count on any other persistence API. I mean, you know, we have local storage unless you're in Safari when e- when either that is broken. But Aside from local storage and just kind of our lacking in sort of a standardized, easy to use, always available, always accessible, persistence API in the browser for uh, significant amounts of information. So I actually ran into how local storage is broken in Safari recently. If you have two tabs open at the same time, the local storage is not in sync between them until you refresh, which I thought was rather kooky. Cookie. <laughs> There's the word. Yeah, it wasn't intentional. It's a bug. It's that the problem with, is that with Safari, even if they have a fix for the bug, the fix won't be deployed until the next version of iOS. Well, I was experiencing it on desktop, but meh. well, it's kind of the same thing. Who uses I just like that. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that who uses Safari on desktops? <laughs> <laughs> other, other than to download Chrome. I love Safari. You're listening to this, this podcast. I love Safari because it's so, dare I say the word, ballsy. Safari is ballsy because Safari will put up a notice on Gmail that says, we crashed this tab because it was using too much memory. You're welcome. And I like that. I like that it just says, like all these popular websites, if you leave the tab open for an hour or a day or whatever, it will crash the tab and say, crash the tab because using too much memory, using too much CPU, you know, whatever it was that it was doing. But Safari just protects you from the evilness of people who don't take intentionality in the products that they build or the products that they build are just so complex that that for whatever reason, I don't know why Gmail listing 100 messages would need to be taking up so much RAM that Safari decides to crash it. But I'm glad that it does. I appreciate it. That leaves me RAM for the other tabs. I just think it's funny that AJ's, the the episode that AJ brought up was the one where he wished he had said, respectfully, you're doing it wrong instead of just you're doing it wrong. Well, so here's the thing. I love people with strong opinions. People with strong opinions don't always love me, which I find to be strange because it seems like we should be in this click together of like, I respect you for having an opinion and sticking with it and being able to defend it. Like, I respect you for that. It seemed, I, I don't know. I just thought more people with strong opinions would be in that camp of like, we respect each other for uh, having a defensible position. And when our defenses are shown to not be true, then to back down and be like, you know what? You're right. I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, I'm fine with that. I don't have any, that's how I learn. I learn predominantly by making assertions and having people correct me. Maybe not predominantly. I mean, I learn in other ways too, but that is one of the ways that I learn. I state what I believe and what I know to be true. And then other people state what they believe and what they know to be true. And then we can come down to the differences of 
what is fact versus what is not fact. Because there's a lot of things out there that you read or you, you hear in a conference talk or whatever that turn out not to be true. Like the whole thing about tree shaking. That's a bunch of bogus bunk, apparently. Doesn't actually happen. Your bundle sizes are still just as big. Well, look, uh, going to your initial <laughs> point and not, and not talking about the tree shaking, I think, I think that the, the <laughs> one issue that you need to take account of with, into account with this type of an approach is that when you express opinions in a, a forcefully enough, let's, let's put it this way, then people will hesitate to correct you even when they think you're wrong. Because either they'll assume that you must be right, because otherwise you wouldn't be so sure of yourself, or it's also this cultural thing. So, so you do need to take into account that, that one risk that you're running with this approach is that in some cases, people will fail to correct you even when they know they're right and you are in fact wrong. Okay, fair enough. All right, Steve, what's your favorite episode? For me, it'd have to be the one where I, inter- I interviewed Jonathan Reinick of the creator of Inertia JS, partially because it was it's something that I've really gotten into using since that interview, and I've kept in touch with Jonathan. I'm actually trying to get him scheduled to come on again and talk about updates. But for me, it's been a really interesting tool that addressed an issue I've had for trying to find a backend that I could control more than a, some of the online CMSs. But uh, yeah, that was episode 443. Nice. How about you, Amy? I, oh my gosh, I don't know what's up on my post lately. I'm going to go with, man, I, I know I've given episodes before, but I'm having a hard time thinking that far back. So I'm thinking of more recent ones. I feel like we did one on machine learning with JavaScript last fall. I've been trying to find the links and I can't. And then the was that with one, Yep. And then the pluming one. I don't know if that was, I feel like that was the spring, man. I don't remember. But I've enjoyed like the ones that kind of steer in a different direction than what we typically have. I would say those. And for people listening, nice. the pluming one is basically writing infrastructure as code with JavaScript or other languages. The Pulumi? Yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. I've run into a lot of people since that have used Pulumi. Some have good opinions. I think almost everybody has a good opinion about it. I might have run into one person that was like, meh, I'll pass. And in my opinion, anything's better than writing HCL. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. How about you, Dan? I'm actually going to cheat. (laughs) First of all, I'm going to pick episodes that uh, were during the period where I participated in the show. I kind of joined on episode 400 where Mm -hmm. I spoke about past episodes from before joining the show. And so so this time I'm going to actually focus on the episodes that, that came since then. And the way that in which I'm going to cheat is that instead of picking one specific episode, I'm actually going to... Pick, I, I'd call them like a sequence of episodes that had a common theme. And, and the theme that I want to pick is those episodes that were about people who are making their way or breaking their way into web development. So we had an amazing series of such episodes. And I know for a fact that they were impactful and that many people benefited from them. So obviously, we had that episode with uh, Danny Thompson that we know was very impactful. Uh, that was episode uh, 442. And anybody who hasn't listened to it should like drop everything else and just go and listen to that episode. We also had an episode with uh, Laura Harvey, who spoke about her experiences breaking into tech, attending uh, boot camp in the UK. And I know that she's making a great career for herself. 
And that was episode 457. And we had another one with uh, also from the UK with uh, Carl Manguzzi, who spoke about learning to code by reading code. And he was also relating his experience of transitioning from being a reporter, I think, to being a web developer. And I think he's also a panelist on one of the other shows React on Roundup. your network. Exactly. Yeah. So he's he's made an amazing career of it. And that was episode 408. We also had uh, Matt Crook talking about picking a boot camp, going through a boot camp. I think he was still in the boot camp while he was speaking with us, more or less in the middle of it. Uh, I know that he is still in the in the in web dev. And recently we had Sam Sycamore also on the show. Another excellent episode. So so yeah, we had this in, uh, and that's episode uh, 496. So we had this entire sequence of excellent episodes and it was really instructive for me because it's so different than my own personal path into software development in general and web development in particular. So it was really uh, eye-opening for me to see people who are finding non-conventional ways of entering web development and really changing their lives around uh, the ability to build websites and write code. Wow. All of those. So good. I'm going to throw out a few of them myself here. One of them that I really enjoyed was the one where we talked to Eric Simons about Node in the Browser and web containers. I just felt like that one started out with Node in the Browser. It was like, oh, yeah, cool. And then by the end, I felt Ooh. like, oh, my mind blown. All the possibilities and where is this going to go? And oh, what yeah. can we do with this? And yeah, holy cow, just so much stuff. And then a lot of the core Web Vitals stuff. I don't know why, but I just really got into that. I, I really enjoyed it. So th those Some are the ones those. that stand up to me. Yeah, some of those are me, so I'll take credit for that. <laughs> well, I, I also want to say the what you must know, what you should know. That was great. Yeah, I learned a those lot in those episodes as well. Thank you. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed making them with you guys. It helped me organize a lot of my thinking. By the way, my mm -hmm. myself around what it is that I think that you need to know in order to be effective as a web developer. And it's not, it's not such an easy thing to, to specify because the, the term web development covers such a wide range of knowledge and, and areas of expertise and, and, and actual work. Yeah, it's true. It's interesting too, because what that really means is that you have people with widely varying experiences and widely varying sets of concerns. And so boiling that down to common sets of, hey, you ought to know this, you do need to know this, sometimes a little bit tricky. I recently got into an interesting argument, let's call it, on, on Twitter, because it's kind of strange. I mean, who argues on Twitter? But I got into this argument on Twitter because this person tweeted out that you can you can become a web developer in like twelve weeks. That's all. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's the all you need to learn about web development. You can learn it within twelve weeks. And and of course, my initial reaction, and not only mine but many other people as well, was that uh, this is kind of an uninformed and even obnoxious statement because obviously, learning web development then in that entire field. I mean, I'm doing it for what? Coming on 20 years and you can fill volumes with the stuff that I don't know yet. But then he kind of retorted with, 
yeah, but you've got people going through boot camps, which are effectively, let's say, 12, maybe 20 weeks and coming out and they're building websites and making a living. So like, are you going to say that, like, gatekeep them out and say, hey, you're not web developers? So it exactly has to go to this concept of what exactly is a web developer? Are we talking about the minimal amount of information, the total amount of information? It becomes a, a kind of tricky conversation to have at a certain point. Yep, absolutely. And yeah. I think so that that's something that needs to be promulgated a bit more. Because I think that, well, what I, I said before we started the show, one of the things I'm coming to is I think that there is a lack of discipline in the web development community that is growing and being normalized and we could be having better experiences. But I don't disagree that some people can get really good and develop expertise in a short amount of time. But I think that that's pretty rare. You have to have a high degree of intelligence and a high degree of dedication and you have to have access to really good materials out of the gate, which is one of the hardest things because when you look at tutorials on the web, most of them are garbage and teach you exactly the wrong way to do it. And very few of them are well-designed and trying to cherry pick out the ones that teach how to do things well is pretty much impossible. I mean, I, if, if anybody else has a, a list of like excellent tutorials that teach things very pragmatically and don't have a lot of bad patterns and bad practices that are popular, but not good, let's put that list together. I'm working on that. Well, also, it kind of depends. I mean, you know, when, when you're setting out to build a website, okay, you can take very different approaches. You could like literally build it using the lowest level tools out there, like just raw HTML and CSS and whatnot, and, and put it on some web server in the cloud and you're done with Express maybe. And then you can do it that way. Or you could maybe use some sort of an application platform like uh, a Next.js or something like that and say, I'm just going to do it React the whole way. Or you could use something like a WordPress or a Wix to, to basically just build it by using more or less an existing tool where you drag and drop things around. And it's not always obviously clear what's going to produce the best result for your customer. I agree with that, it, especially when you're talking about WordPress, you get the experience of, you know, assuming that you don't put in a lot of plugins and you only use stuff that's secure and you don't put it shared hosting where it's going to get hacked by something else. But they get the experience of having a CMS, which I don't, I don't feel like we have other tools yet. And we should. I don't know why we don't. But we don't have tools anywhere else that give you, well, there's like one or two things. I think forestry is something that people are able to use. We, yeah, we, we definitely mm -hmm. lack something that gives the client the experience that WordPress will give them. But I would not, I, I don't know, I kind of hesitate to say that this is where the term web developer gets overloaded because I think that when you're dealing with WordPress, and shoot me now, whatever, but you're getting further <laughs> away from software developer, right? Because it's it's less about understanding the technology and and building out the solution with discipline. And it's more about like, okay, Here's some Legos on the table. Let's slap this together, put some duct tape on it. It works. It makes money. It's good to go. You I, you can kind of go there with some of the other frameworks out there too, though, right? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you definitely can as well. Look, I'll say it this way. And, and you know, usually I don't like to, to talk about Wix too much because I don't want to, my being here as a host has nothing to do with my day job there. 
But you could, but I have to say this, if you're just out to build a scalable, secure website that looks great, you can literally learn to do it in a matter of a few days on, on the Wix platform or some of our competitors, like, I don't know, Squarespace, whatever. And it's highly likely that the website you build this way will be more scalable, more secure, more robust than if you've been doing React for a few months. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think the question becomes, I mean, I, really, I haven't looked into Wix that much. I did try a demo of building a site or something. But the problem, I think, with site builders is that it takes you outside of the realm of a web developer, right? Because you don't have access and control over the HTML or the CSS or these other things. You All of the intellectual property is in the hands of Wix, and there's not a way to transport it somewhere else. Now, correct me if I'm wrong on that. No, you're actually, well... You're not wrong on that. And and that's, by the way, part of the attraction. I mean, like that you don't need to be a web developer in order to develop or build the website. That's the whole concept of a website builder. And I literally said that in my tweet response that I said, I, I, somebody could build an amazing website on Wix within a few days. I wouldn't call them a web developer. And But at the end of the day, if, if your goal is to build websites well yeah but definitely you're certainly you i wouldn't call you a web developer and i certainly wouldn't call you a software engineer yeah but the flip side is is that it's not just not having to be a web developer because i i use some of these systems right but the i can also say i need a sales page i don't have to design it i don't have to i don't think about it colors whatever because that's stuff i'm not good at right and so, yeah, I mean, functionality, does it perform as well as maybe I could get it to perform? Maybe not. But at the end of the day, I have something functional. I have it up fast. It does what I need it to do. A lot of times there are tools and integrations that come with it. So there are trade-offs there too, right? I'll potentially surprise you and say that it that there's a pretty good chance that it would, that unless, again, that you have great expertise in building sales pages, then there's a good chance that it will be actually faster and more secure and more robust mm-hmm. and more scalable because these companies, companies like a Shopify or a WooCommerce or a BigCommerce or a Wix can afford to employ people whose expertise is in building such systems. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, my point is, is that I give up some flexibility sometimes in some of these other things and I may be able to build it so that it has certain attributes that that line up with what I think I want. And, and I could do that as a web developer. But you compensate for a lot of other things that I'm not good at. And performance may be one of those things, too. Well, and we had Sam Sycamore on. And at the end of that podcast, I kind of got the feeling that he is more the type of like his real skill is in marketing and that's what his new job is right like he was hired as i don't remember what the title was specifically but it's marketing he wasn't hired as the software developer he was hired as the software developer marketing whatever i'll have to go look at his twitter so i actually get the title right but i mean from from our talk with him it sounded like a lot of what he did as a web developer was more on the wordpress like the kit side of things where he figured out more business business problem solution statements and then found tools to apply them to more than he was hand coding any HTML or CSS. And I could be totally wrong about that, and I don't want to misrepresent him, but that's kind of the feeling that I got, that his path to success was not so much on the side of becoming a great software engineer as it was 
utilizing his existing skills in writing and finding a new avenue through which he could use technology to be a better marketer and use his communication skills. And I think that's a great career path and solves the, the, the problem of the problems that he was solving for his clients and for himself. Yep. I think I, we I went kinda, on a pretty wild tangent, no? We did. We definitely did. I, I kind of want to talk for a minute about just where everybody's at. Like, what, what are y'all working on these days? I think you're going to have to pick names, Chuck. <laughs> Steve, what are you doing these days? So from a job standpoint, I work for a company that, at least until a couple of weeks ago, was a little four-person company called GovTribe. And it's a very large, very large U Laravel Mongo application that provides, it centralizes data for government contractors because government data sources are an absolute mess and all over the place. So uh, that's what I get to do. Uh, and then I'm focusing on some little side projects using Inertia and Laravel with you and getting up to speed on Laravel, but uh, just playing with those on the side. And then, yeah, about it. Cool. How about you, Amy? Let's see. By the time this comes out, I'm assuming we're a couple weeks out. I am so right now. I'm I have a very strange title and stuff that I do day to day changes a lot. But my title is like DevOps. So I'm doing a lot of infrastructure, but also still doing some JavaScript. We have like some internal applications that I do data visualizations for and stuff like that. And then the week after Labor Day, I am switching teams internally and focusing the DevOps stuff on site reliability engineering. So still we'll do some JavaScript probably. They have probably more Node. They have like some services and stuff that they have set up with Node because that's what they actually like. Some Python too, but I don't know. Correct Correct me if I'm wrong, Amy, but that's a transition you were really looking forward to making. Yeah, it was was a long time coming. I, let's see, like started the conversations in like... April and got the offer, I think it was June or so. So it was a lot of, eh, I don't know, you know, people, (laughs) my current team didn't necessarily want me to go over there, but the other team was really promising. And so the team still doesn't know that I'm leaving, um, but I'm sure by the time this comes out, it will be public knowledge. And I doubt that they listen to this podcast (laughs) because I'm the only one that writes JavaScript. So yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. It should be some good SRE work at a pretty high scale. So be fun. Lots of Kubernetes, Terraform, GCP, a little bit of AWS. It's my day-to-day. So Amy, out of curiosity, what are you using for your data visualization? I actually just use Google Charts because it oh, okay. works really nicely with all of our Google Cloud stuff. Yeah, I've been knee-deep, more like neck-deep in D3 and alternatives for the past uh, couple months. Yeah. Uh, That's probably worth an episode, Steve. Yeah, probably. Believe it or not, Dan, I've just been an email. I'm booking somebody from Observable in September. I've tried to get Mike Vostok, but he wasn't available. So I got one of their people coming on. But yeah, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. I think it's still fun to talk about kind of stuff we're doing outside of work too. So I guess still in Nashville. I can't believe it's like five years that I've been here, which is wild after moving around a good bit for the military. What else? Still have my cats that sit here while I work. And what else? I'm not running as much because I broke my foot. I have a Peloton that I'm pretty much obsessed with. Still lifting, all that stuff. Good for you. <laughs> Don't mess with Amy. She's tough. <laughs> it's a, a little 
sad. Like I took some time off because of COVID and the gym's closing and lost a lot of strength and haven't really been able to get it back. But eh, I don't know. The the Peloton has been fun. Nice. I should, I, sh- I should add if anybody here is like a Peloton person, my handle there is Amy, A-I-M-E-E-S-K, the number eight. We can take a ride together. <laughs> awesome. I'm too poor to have a Peloton. Yeah, it's not a cheap bike, but I used a work bonus to get it. And all depends, I guess, on your priorities in life. I don't know. For me, that was a treat, but (laughs) they look nice. They definitely look nice. They're very nice. They're very nice. (laughs) Yep. How about you, AJ? What are you up to? So I still do a little consulting on the side, but I'm working full time at a company that does system of record for growing businesses. So basically businesses that are preparing for due diligence events with investors and stuff like that, but it handles everything. The formation, it's, it's the whole stuff that you do as a business where there's documents that you need to be able to have them easily organized so that when a situation comes up that you need to share those with somebody who's got interest in your business, you can share them. So it's kind of like the things that as an entrepreneur, you absolutely don't want to do and we'll never take any initiative to do no matter how easy it is, but that you have to do. We make it so that when you're finally at the point that you have to do it, it's the easiest way to do it. And I do Node there, and I did, I started learning a little React, but it just made me angry. <laughs> and so I uh, I gave that up. I still I still want to get back to it and learn a little bit more, but it's and just- that's, And that's why I scheduled <laughs> an episode where I hope to teach you about the underlying philosophy of uh, React. And and maybe if you understand that, then it will be easier for you to pick it up. I think Dan Abramov said it best with something like, the problem with React is JavaScript. I don't think those were his exact <laughs> words, but those were pretty much, that's pretty much what he said in React to the Future. It was a conference talk he gave. And, and again, I don't think his exact words were the problem with React is JavaScript, but it was very much what he said, regardless of what the words were. <laughs> this is kind of amusing because React, like the, the thing about Re- one of the things about React is that like it takes everything like HTML and CSS and you know everything else in the web and then injects that into JavaScript. So JavaScript becomes the center of everything. So to say that, Re- that the problem with React is JavaScript, well, that's basically React's one of their core architectural decisions. Well, no, nah, I don't want to get into it right now, but whatever. Let me see. Yeah, so keep other- an eye out for an episode entitled Reducing React Rage. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's enough React Rage is the problem. Anyway, <laughs> other than that, I have been doing live streams for quite a while now, almost every day. There's been times when I haven't been feeling well or I've had something else going on that I haven't done it. I have not focused as much on the doing the learning content as what I had set out to do because there's just like so much stuff to do, but I just, I'll, I'll live stream when it's something at work where I don't think I'm going to hit something where, where sensitive information is going to show up in logs and I'll have my logs on the other screen just in case and whatnot. And then when I'm working on an open source project, I'll live stream it. When I've, I've done a few reviews of people's pull requests both pull requests people have made to projects of mine and pull requests that I've made to other people's projects and that interaction. And I think that those couple of ex- episodes have been some of the best ones of the live streams in terms of what I would think are good educational content for, for people 
to see because getting into the polar quest stuff is you know you're dealing internationally the cultural differences are there you're dealing with different code bases different editors different expectations you know it'd be nice if everybody was just using prettier and js hint and we could all expect that because you clone the repo and the js hint file is there and the prettier file is there that boom when you do your pr everything should be right but that's just not the reality. But anyway, I've really been enjoying doing that. I feel like it actually makes me a better developer and I would recommend it to anybody. I feel like it helps me stay more focused because I've got the camera on me and I'm speaking out what I'm doing. I'm rubber ducking. I feel like it helps, you know, the rubber ducking aspect, it helps me to solve problems quicker. It makes me more aware of when I really need to take a break, although I often don't. <laughs> but I get the sense that you know, my energy level's going down. I'm not thinking as clearly. I'm not able to explain things as clearly. It's like, okay, it's been three hours. I should go take a break. And then I go another hour. But that whole live streaming adventure has been something that's really been cool. And then projects that have come out of it, I think, are have been really cool too. So the most recent one is Bliss, which is basically a front end for other blogs. Because I mentioned before, we have this problem where we don't have content management systems for anything except for WordPress. But if you have a, bl a blog in Hugo or in Zola or in Gatsby or any of that, Bliss, this front end, will work with any of them because it basically just templates text for the YAML just or the YAML or TOML or whatever the front matter style is and um, makes it easier to get all that nitty gritty garbage out of the way. The stuff that you don't want to do, like you don't want to type out the timestamp and things like that and have a nice web interface for it. But anyway, that's kind of the coolest project that I'm working on right now. And yeah, I don't know. Ask me questions if you want. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood. And I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say, Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have this situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. Is it at all opinionated? <laughs> what, bliss? No, I mean your uh, your <laughs> videos. <sighs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I don't soften things up too, too much. And I'm pretty honest too. Like I can, I have times when, when my arrogance or my, uh, 
you know, whatever takes over. And one of the videos when I was talking about pull requests, because the guy basically BS'd. He said, he said that, that their tooling infer, enforced a certain code standard. And I'd looked at the repo and I knew that the likelihood of that being true was about 0.01%. And so I was like, you know, right now, I really want to be an a-hole and just say, you're full of it. You don't have any tooling system in place, but I'm not going to do that because that's not going to help me get what I want out of the situation, which is for his code base and my experience to be better. So there's, there's some uh, good, honest moments in there. I actually don't think I said it quite that bluntly, but something like that anyway. Well, now you have. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. No. Dan, what are you up to? Well, you know, we're recording this in August and this is my seventh year anniversary at Wix. I mentioned before that I'm at Wix. Wow. Uh, yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. It's pretty amazing because back when I joined, we were something like 400, maybe 500 people, somewhere in between there. And now we are around 6,000 people. So yeah, it's like I'm definitely one of the old timers at Wix, which feels really strange because it feels to me like, you know, it's there are people there that have been longer than me, the founders, obviously, but it, it kind of feels strange. My job description in uh, or my title, you might say, has essentially like remained more or less the same, but the actual things that I do have changed a lot. So you know, I'm the performance tech lead at Wix. And back when I joined, it literally meant that whenever some part of the uh, platform that, that, you know, the Wix platform had bad performance, they would literally call me over and ask me to look through it and find ways of making it faster. And I would literally like touch almost every bit of code in the system. And we are well beyond that point now. So now my job is kind of shifted to where I educate, support, provide tooling and infrastructure and instructions to people who are working in a lot of different teams. So instead of just me focusing on performance, there are effectively hundreds of people that are doing stuff that is related to performance at Wix. And, and it certainly scales a whole lot better. Uh, we made some amazing progress in that regard over the past year. So I'm really happy about that. You know, so so I'm doing a lot of the things related to that. There were, you know, we spoke a lot about Core Web Vitals, which is uh, something that Google introduced uh, last year. And I had to learn a whole bunch about that. Browser capabilities and APIs keep shifting. And, and that obviously has a significant impact on performance. Uh, architectures come along that kind of shift the way that web applications are being created in order to be performant, you know, stuff like the Gemstack. We had uh, episodes about that on our show. So there's constantly a lot of information that I need to learn and process, which makes it, you know, really interesting. Awesome. Congrats on seven years. That's like forever for most people that I know in development. So... Yeah, I tend to stay put for a lengthy period of times. I, you know, the previous employer before that, I think I more or less stayed around the same period of time. It's probably not that great a choice from the perspective of getting pay raises because usually <laughs> you get the biggest raises when you switch jobs. But luckily for me, for example, in the case of Wix, stock options work really well, even though the stock has been kind of plummeting during the past few days. But but in the general scheme of things, it was a good deal. Yep. Back up what Chuck said to you. That's 
nice to hear. I don't know. I've been at my place for like a year and a half now, which is kind of a long time for me because of the startup churn. And it feels really good to stay somewhere for a while and dig in. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to jump in and talk a little bit about what I've got going on. So uh, last September, I took a full-time job. I'm still debating in my head as to whether or not I want to actually name out my um, employer just because of some of the stuff that I've fought with over the last year or so. I think I'm going to leave it for now. I do have a couple of things kind of coming down the pipe, though. Uh, one of the big things that I think affects everybody here and the listeners is that I've decided to rebrand devchat.tv after 10 years, which is a little bit crazy. But I think it really reflects what I'm trying to create with devchat.tv. So over the next few weeks, in fact, probably by the time this goes live, it will have already happened. Everything's going to be on topendevs.com. And the idea is that the shows are geared toward helping people create a career where they are top-end devs. And it's funny because I've been talking to a whole bunch of people about kind of the idea around this. And what it really boils down to is helping people break away from kind of that gravitational pull of being in this mediocre career where it's not fulfilling, where you just kind of you coast from one job to the next to the next. I see people do this a lot and then they they... They're not really fulfilled at work. They don't really understand why they were fired up as a junior developer. And then, you know, and they were constantly learning and constantly excited. And then they kind of settle into their career and they're, it's like, well, I'm bored at work. And so just helping people find ways to, to break free of that. And the logo's got a rocket on it, right? Because it, it really is helping people break, break the gravitational pull of the, I guess, kind of the momentum of that default career and going, okay, what what do I want? What's going to fulfill me? And then finding ways to have it. And that doesn't mean that you can't work a job as a developer. But what it does mean is that there may be things that you can be doing that will give you an edge to go and do the things that you're really interested in. And anyway, so that that's one part of it. And then another thing that I'm working on, and I'm probably going to actually have a sales page up for it like tomorrow and put up a bonus episode real quick just to let people know about it, is uh, I was talking to a friend of mine today and he, he kind of pushed me on this and called me out on it. And so uh, I'm going to be launching a podcast launch course. It's going to be a four-week course. It's going to start in the middle of September, which is about when I think this is going to come out. And you can find it at podcastplaybook.co slash launch. I've had that domain for a while and I haven't done a ton with it. But anyway, it'll walk you through getting your podcast launched. So there are a lot of ways you can kind of mess it up. And so this just gets you through, you know, defining your audience and then like all the technical setup. So getting your artwork on point, making sure that you're, uh, you sound good, making sure that you are getting the right guests. If you're doing guests, that you're talking about the right stuff. If you're just monologuing, finding co-hosts, hiring an editor, where to host, how to host for like web hosting and media hosting and all that stuff and figuring all that stuff out. Cause I've been doing this. I've been podcasting for 12, 13 years. And yeah, people ask me questions about stuff that I know the answer to off the top of my head. And I'm just going, yeah, definitely. So basically what you get, you get a set of videos. We'll have a weekly call. I'm going to set up a Slack room or some way for you to ask questions during the week. And yeah, at the end of it, you'll have a podcast launched that looks professional that you'll be able to uh, use in order to sell courses or build a freelance business or whatever it is that you want to do to kind of take your career off to that next level. And and so it ties back again to that top end devs idea where it's just breaking that 
gravitational pull of settling in and being pulled back into a career where you just show up to work and then go home and you can do something that maybe means a little more to you. And in this case, it's putting content out that helps people and then finding a way to maybe make a side income or something like that. So yeah, that's that's kind of the next thing that I have coming. I have a whole bunch of other things that are further down the pipe, but I don't think it's worth really discussing those until I've actually got traction on them. You're keeping yourself busy. Yeah. <laughs> busy is good. Busy is good. Yeah. I guess that's the other thing that I should mention is that the thing that he called me out on and the reason that this is kind of coming around is that as we were talking about sort of the... So I'm not... I've, I've never been the kind of person that really does well showing up to a job and then being told how I'm supposed to show up and what I'm supposed to do and when I'm supposed to be there and all that stuff. And so for me, that gravitational pull into a job, it, it's rather painful. And so for me, it's also just a way of saying, hey, look, if I'm going to show you how to get out of the the kind of situation that I'm in, then I'm going to show you how to do it. And so that's the other piece of this. And so if you're interested in seeing... I'm, I'm going to do a weekly... It's going to be a premium podcast because I'm going to talk about some stuff that I don't necessarily want to just go full public on. But yeah. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but you can get it. Uh, it'll be called doing devchat.tv. I'll have to change it because I'm getting rid of devchat.tv, but uh, it's kind of an audio journal where I'll be walking through what I'm doing and putting all that stuff together. And so you can you can jump on that for like 10 bucks a month. And it'll, oh, that definitely yeah. sounds interesting. Yeah. So anyway, that's the other piece of that. We're kind of at the end of our time. I know that we were talking about maybe talking about how we got onto the show and things like that, but I think we can kind of hold on to that stuff. And we've also talked a little bit about some of the things that we want to talk about in the future and some of the episodes we have coming down the pipe, which is also exciting. So yeah, I'm excited to see what comes next. But I just want to let you all know that I appreciate you guys showing up every week. And I really enjoy chatting with you every week about JavaScript and web development. So I have to say, uh, Chuck, two things. First of all, I think we spoke about that uh, in an episode a while back. Uh, it was another episode that you organized recently about how we learn the things that we learn. And uh, when I thought about it, I came to the conclusion that a lot of the stuff that I'm recently learning, I'm learning thanks to this podcast. Because, you know, we bring amazing guests every week and we get to listen to the experts describe the stuff about the fields where they are the best at. And also, I need to prepare. So I, I read stuff about it. And all, all in all, I'm, I'm learning a whole bunch of stuff thanks to this podcast. So I wanted to thank you for that. And I think also that I want to thank you for like, your contribution to the community. I mean, you know, the the fact that this uh, podcast has been coming out regularly for coming on 10 years, 500 episodes, I think that's amazing. I'm, I'm hard-pressed to think of, en- of any uh, other source of so much information that's just out there for free for anybody to listen to and learn. It's, it's pretty amazing from my perspective. Well, thanks. I didn't do it alone. <laughs> There's a lot of credit to a lot of people that have uh, put in time on these. So I want to reflect that back to the hosts because it really is. It, it's an effort that we get great people and they show up and you all show up. And I think that's really what it is. I mean, my part in it is, yeah, I show up and talk, but a lot of it's just organizing on the back end and making sure that stuff happens. And... For six years, I actually got paid to do it. So I can't <laughs> complain. 
Cool. Well, from my perspective, a thank you is is very much as a well. Thanks, I appreciate you. That. You deserve it. Let's put it this way. All right. Well, Great. let's. Let's do some picks before I get any more embarrassed. Um, <laughs> You're turning purple, Chuck. <laughs> I am, and I'm not in the purple room. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I've put together the curriculum. And I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. AJ, do you want to start us off with picks this week? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to pick some things that I could pick every day, all day long, and never stop picking, which I think I've picked many of them recently. I'm going to pick lawsofux.com. I think everybody should get that poster in their office. I'm considering getting it in mind, but it's kind of pricey, $60. But the website itself, don't worry about the poster, the website itself is one of the most invaluable resources for anybody doing development where there is a human on the other end of the computer using your software. These are tried and true, accurate rules that if you follow, you will develop a better application. This is not hipster, pop culture, whatever of the day. This is researched, scientific, true UX design principles. And I am saddened that most people that get hired for UX don't know any of them. But that is one that I will pick. The other one, I always, always, always love to pick Douglas Crockford. Specifically, I'm going to pick one of his talks that is not in the eight-part series while he was at Yahoo, but this one is called The Better Parts. And he summarizes two, there's two quotes in there that are just, I mean, there's probably more than that, but these are just so essential, like so essential. One is perfection is achieved not when there's nothing left to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. And the other is if there are two ways, well, I'm paraphrasing this one a little bit wrong, but if there's two ways of doing something and one of them usually works, but sometimes fails and the other one always works, why would you ever pick any method than the one that always works? I just love, I love Douglas Crockford. He is a software engineer's software engineer. He's just so pragmatic and thoughtful and deliberate. And I probably wouldn't get along with him in person but I love his ideas. I'm also going to pick the Zen of Python. I think that this, I wish that it was called the Zen of programming because it is so universally true to software engineering. The The things that are in this, it's, it's kind of a poem, but it has, I'll read a couple of the stanzas. Errors should never pass silently. In the face of ambiguity, reviews the Refuse the temptation to guess. There should be one and preferably only one obvious way to do it. And so on. I am also going to pick the Go Proverbs because that like it's kind of the spiritual successor to the Zen of Python, except whereas the Zen of Python almost is nothing that is truly specific to Python. All of these principles can be applied in every programming language. The Go Proverbs are a little bit more specific to go, but they could be, you can take them and see where they apply 
to other languages as well. So for example, there's see go is not go. Basically, when you're transpiling a language, you're not using the language. Like the, the core language is not the transpiled language, which is not, it's not quite transpiling in Go, but CGO is, is not Go. There's the, the bigger the interface, the weaker the abstraction. This is just a principle that can be applied anywhere. Clear is better than clever. Again, a principle that can be applied anywhere. And there's a number of these that I wish I had all of them in front of me right now, but I've kind of been collecting, trying to, to get a list of the philosophical resources that are what I believe to be the best philosophies to follow in software design. Another one that I'd have to pick is, and don't, don't judge this based on the name of it because it's not what you think, the Agile Manifesto. Agile Manifesto has nothing to do with Agile the way that it's taught to you by your manager or your team. There's the manifesto itself, which is only four stanzas, and then, well, and then a little bit of header and footer, and then there's the 12 principles of Agile software, which I think kind of go into the Agile manifesto. And then along with that, I would also pick the 12-factor app, which is another really well-reasoned resource for kind of, this is more about DevOps, I think, than it is necessarily programming, but it's, I, I mean, they bleed together. They bleed together. And there's a couple more that I don't have on hand, but these are the greatest, most important archeological documents of the 21st century, in my opinion. And I, I wish that everyone had immediate access to them, knew that they existed, and furthermore, that they understood them and were able to apply them as they look at their code so that we tend towards simpler, more sustainable, easier to read, easier to grow projects and code rather than things that are more magical or cool or have a, another one of the Go proverbs, a little copying is better than a little dependency, not so much, so many points of failure in, in the system. So with that, I'll, I'll, I'll cut it there. That's my diatribe for today. Good picks. Amy, what are your picks? Okay. I don't have quite as many, so I feel bad, but this is a GitHub repo that I starred somewhat recently, I think. And it is a command line tool where you plug in, you can like start it running at the start of your meeting and you plug in like the number of people's salaries, you give it a Zoom URL and it keeps a running count of how much money your meeting is costing. Uh, so, I mean, I think some meetings are important, of course, but sometimes people can kind of chit chat a little bit. So I thought this would be good. Man, I'm trying to think so of anything else. So like you plug in people's salaries and how many people are there and then how long the meeting's going and it, and it, it tells starts you. like a running timer. Yeah. You just give it the zoom URL. I'll say something about that. You know, <laughs> it, it, I have to, because look, in principle, I agree that meetings can be a huge time waster and, you know, distract you from work and whatnot. But in the current it situation. It can be encompasses are always. So yes, <laughs> I, I agree with you, Dan. But it's always point, an it depends. Yeah, no, my point is that with uh, COVID and a lot of us working from home where we used to work in the office, to an extent, some Zoom time has replaced water cooler conversations. So True. Um, I just like, we got to keep in mind that some, not everybody there 
has time to chit chat. Some people are like up against deadlines and, you know, anyways. Yeah, but I, I used to walk into people's offices and, and bug them. And well, sometimes I was oblivious to how busy they were and they pushed me out. And I guess it needs to be the same. With, with, <laughs> we need with, something with, like that. We need like a Zoom reject button. Like, gotta go, bye. Nothing yeah. personal. <laughs> if you own the Zoom account, you could do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, all, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is that it also serves a, a purpose in the context of human interaction these days. And and in that regard, I'm not sure you should be putting a price tag on it, like, you know, the way that you were just describing. You're assuming some people are not robots. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Amy, are you a robot? I wish I was. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. Anyways. <laughs> what's, what's the movie where they turn people into robots? Ugh. Sounds like a good movie. Anyways. Oh, is that uh, Stepford Wives or whatever? That's not the one I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of one where you elect to have your, I, that's similar premise, but I, there's one, I think it's like a kind of like a space cowboy show and you elect to get turned into a robot and get like a chip or something. Yeah. But I guess anyway, I, have, I guess I have one more cause I'll, I'll make a 180 here. So I can't remember if I picked this or not. I'm going to go with uh, the inner engineering book. I've been doing that audiobook. I I may have picked that like recently. I don't remember if I did or didn't, but it's really good. So I'll drop a link for that. Nice. All right. Yeah, I, I do have to amend my statement. Meetings aren't always a waste of time. They are just nearly always a waste of time. Steve, what are your picks? So I got a couple picks today. So over the past week, there's been a lot of, uh, as I've heard mentioned on another podcast, hot drama in the web world. We're uh, not quite on the scale of our president's ineptitude in Afghanistan, but the Chrome devs decided to completely, with minimal notice, disable the alert, confirm, and prompt dialogues from cross-origin iframes. Didn't really discuss it, didn't want to sort of put it out there, and it raised a big stink. So, for instance, uh, Chris Coyer, who runs CSS Tricks and CodePen, said, uh, you just broke a lot of our pens. Um, and his inbox was filled with people going, what's going on? Because uh, that's used and in, in has to do with, they use cross-origin iframes to have what your code does display separate from, from your editor. And so it was a big, big stink. And so Rich Harris, I believe it's the same, uh, yeah, it's the guy that invented Svelte or created Svelte, works at the New York Times, has an interesting blog post on it on dev.2 about the whole situation, what's going on. So as of right now, the Chrome team rolled back those uh, changes and said, oh, we'll put it off for six months. Which sounds like it's going to happen. It's just going to happen in six months. But the conversation around it has been uh, quite lively, to put it mildly. And again, by the this... way, uh, by the way, Yoav Weiss, who's a friend of mine at Google and also was a guest on our on our podcast, I think he's in the team that's actually managing this whole thing. So I think, and and I don't think he blogged about it, but he posted a, a series of tweets about it. So if you care to also see things from the other perspective, I suggest uh, looking at that. He's a very thoughtful person, I have to say. And then the second post is a combination of pick and dad jokes. And uh, I don't think I'll be able to play it in here, but I'll talk about it. So there's a Disney just came out in a movie called Jungle Cruise uh, that stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It was pretty uh, good. As the, uh, the 
ship boat captain taking the people down the river. I haven't seen it myself. My son saw it and then told me about the scene. So there's one in scene in there where he's telling a few puns to the uh, people on his boat as he's going down the river. And some of them are quite good. Started off talking about two toucan birds who are beak wrestling, talking about how only toucan play. And he has to explain it. It's really pretty sad. But then he gets on to one of that that falls right in line with some of my other favorites about how he used to work at the orange juice factory, but he got canned because he couldn't concentrate and they really put the squeeze on him. And it was, I was laughing pretty loud. So anyway, there's, if you search on YouTube, there's a number of clips of it, but I'll put uh, a link to one of them in the uh, show notes. Yep. Well, I, I will uh, just chime in and mention that I saw the jungle cruise and it was pretty good. So my wife and I went and saw it for a date night. Dan, did we get your picks? Not yet. Okay, so uh, my first pick is that while back, uh, we had uh, the episode where we spoke about Core Web Vitals, and I happened to mention during my picks that uh, I'm running low on show and movie recommendations. So one of our listeners, Adam Bliss, actually hit me up on Twitter and sent me a link to this service he created called uh, Pick a Flick which uses some sort of algorithm or something to find you a movie and show and, and show recommendations. Now, I've not yet had uh, a chance to actually try it out, but I definitely will. And I'm also posting a link to our show notes. So, you know, it's really cool that I get to express my, my problems <laughs> on our show and then get solutions. I, I really appreciate that. So that would be one pick. Another pick uh, that I have, I actually mentioned it before the show, is uh, last Friday, I actually got my third vaccine shot. So should boost my immunity to, uh, to COVID. I hope it works because we're having something of a surge here in Israel again, which isn't great. I've gone back to working full time from home again. After starting to come into the office, like, you know, 50% of the time, I'm now back totally at home because of this uh, kind of a surge. And, and I hope that these, these uh, vaccines will help mitigate that. And those would be, I, I had a third pick, but I forget what it was. So those would be my picks for today. Awesome. Well, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks then. The first pick that I have is I am going to shout out about Jungle Cruise. Pretty fun movie. I mean, it's lighthearted. A lot of the times you kind of get, they, they kind of get on one side or the other where it's it's either, I don't know, it's either too lighthearted where it's it's almost cheesy or where, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, I don't know. It, it, the stakes weren't high enough, but you just, anyway, I think they really struck a good balance with the Jungle Cruise. It was fun. And yeah, so I really enjoyed that. Another thing that I'm just going to throw out there, I had a conversation with some folks, and I think I bring this up periodically, but I had a conversation with some folks in my neighborhood. The conversation of like masks and COVID and stuff came up again. And one thing that came out that was kind of interesting was that as as we were talking about it, we all kind of realized that everybody's kind of formed their opinion at this point. I mean, some people may be persuaded one way or the other, depending on what what they read at this point, but fighting over it on Facebook is kind of pointless. <laughs> Because you're not going to convince anybody at this point, so uh, that that was interesting. And I mentioned, I think uh, earlier that I I just I I'm getting tired of Facebook because people are. I mean, that's all I see is just people commenting about it. And I just want to 
comment on a couple of fun things with my friends, wishing people happy birthday, and not see people throwing rocks. So anyway, stop spoiling Facebook, I guess. The the last pick I have is the the podcast playbook or podcast launch playbook. And that's a podcast playbook.co. I wasn't willing to spring for the .com because I think it was a premium domain, which means it costs three 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 $3,000 or something and nobody's using it. So podcastplaybook.co slash launch. And uh, yeah, we'll have you up with a podcast in four weeks. I'll show you how I do it. And yeah, we'll, we'll get you rolling, get you out there with a couple of podcast episodes. So yeah, if that's something you're interested in, definitely sign up for that. I think I'm only going to open it up to 20 or 30 people. So if you want in, you got to get in. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I got this week. So we'll go ahead and wrap up here. And thank you all for being part of this for 500 episodes. So now we're counting up to 1,000? I guess so. Yep. (laughs) Cool. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.